Hello, and welcome back to Searching Inward, a podcast brought to you by Restore Small Groups here in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm George Stahl, sitting here with Anna Bryant and Scott Reel. And today we want to talk about building healthy relationships and intimacy in relationships and how meaningful that is. So today's episode is on that. And one of the most important skills to be developed on the path of transformation is healthy relationships. Meaningful, connected relationships can bring more joy to our lives. They, it can help reduce pain when we're struggling in some way. Um, it assists us in problem solving and helps us heal the deficits of childhood and helps us build self-worth. So through healing communities like Restore and small groups uh, that you guys provide, uh, you guys help folks learn and understand just the basics and the hallmarks of healthy relationships we want to talk about today. So let's just dive into it and see where it takes us. Does it sound like a plan, Scott? Anna, what do you think? <laughs> All right, so let's start with this. So what does healthy relationship look like, and where can we start to learn and practice this? Well, it was years ago when I read Dr. Patrick Karn's book, uh, Don't Call It Love, and in, it was on actual recovery for sexual addiction, but it had so much more that it taught me and introduced me to about the importance of intimacy and relationships. And Ann and I were talking about this this week that, you know, I, I found that it was in my recovery small groups that I learned intimacy. It was through relationships with my fellow travelers. And what we're also saying that it wasn't through romantic relationships, it was through these relationships that we were building in my recovery circles. And so Carnes said that in the back of his book on Don't Call It Love, he's talking about the importance of building relationships. He says the most important skill to be gained in recovery is the skill of developing support and intimacy. And I thought, wow, that was so profound. And then he went on to explain the different qualities that he saw of intimacy. And it was, and I realized that those were being practiced in our small groups. And I didn't even realize it. And then when I saw that, it really confirmed, validated why people in our small groups always don't want them to end. Because this is probably the first place that they've experienced true intimate relationships. What does he mean by don't call it love? Uh, that do people tend to see love and intimacy more as just affection and romantic? Is that is that what he's driving at with that title? Yeah. So uh, the kind of intimacy intimacy you're talking about is it's more than just physical. It's emotional. It's spiritual. Yeah, and I just have to throw in my famous old saying about intimacy. The definition is into me you see. Mm. And then if we then years later I read Thompson's book Anatomy of the Soul, and he says there's no greater need. For all human beings and the experience to be fully known, that to me captures what we're talking about here. In intimate relationships, know everything about yeah. my life, my yeah. story. So, and we're going to get into some of the hallmarks of that, which is vulnerability. Um, so, Anna, how about you? Where, where does it begin for you? Well, I think it's important to understand intimacy, like, definitely has the connotation of romantic relationships, but we actually, our first relationships in this world are with our primary caregivers, and if we're going to develop healthy, intimate relationships, it's not necessarily initially in that romantic setting. Um, we learn how to have healthy relationships where we are seen and known um, in a relationships with our caregivers, with our siblings, um, with our schoolmates when we're coming up. So it's really important to develop these um, 
these hallmarks of what a healthy relationship looks like so that when we do come of age and we are in the stage of life where we're ready for those uh, more romantic relationships, um, we know what intimacy looks like. It's not just a romantic one-on-one physical relationship. It's actually a lot more holistic than that. Yeah, and so you guys are talking about the basics, the basics of building healthy relationships. So if you work at these, then everything else that you build in relationship kind of build upon them. So that you're, we're starting with the foundation. Right, they're the building blocks. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's, let's, let's get into these. Um, and that this Patrick Carnes book, Scott, that you mentioned, uh, Don't Call It Love, he, he, he names six hallmarks. So what, let's just take these and let's go through them. The first one's initiative. Uh, yes. So, and is that, is that first intentionally? Um, I think it is. It is. Okay, well, tell us about it. <laughs> Well, if you don't initiate, nothing happens, right? So yeah. initiative, obviously, is, it's, the, um, it's the first thing that gets everything else rolling. Um, and so this is something that is important in relationships because you are reaching out to another human. You're taking initiative. Um, you are not waiting for someone to come to you um, to be seen, but you're actually um, making yourself vulnerable in saying, I need another human. I'm reaching out. I'm making an effort to connect. Um, and so initiative is the first, foremost, and probably most important um, for um, healthy relationships. Like, you can't um, connect with another human if you're not initiating. And the opposite of that that he says is that it's being passive, it's being isolated, it's taking a victim stance. So for, for some people initiate, they've been hurt, they've been disappointed or not seen or not understood. So uh, to initiate for some is difficult. That's a, that's a f- big first step for some people. That's well, scary. Yeah. yeah. It's frightening. Again, fear of being rejected. But I, I love the thought of, of being, there's no greater feeling than when someone is pursuing you relationally. You know, tell me what you're feeling. What can I, what do I need to know? You know, where have you been? Tell me about your life. You know, how are the, you know, how are the, how's all this working? You know, initiating that versus taking a passive position. Well, I, I need them to, to come after me. Um, so that's, again, what Ann and I were talking about earlier that, it all starts with initiative. Initiative is a great way to communicate care. That's yeah. what it communicates. I move towards you, and we do that in group. Yeah. Oh, that's exactly what you guys do. It's, an, it's intentional space for people to begin to practice this who maybe don't have that space in their everyday work life or their relational life at home. And so I think that is one of the most beautiful things about Restore is because for eight weeks, you have an intentional space to go and practice this. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think of all the podcasts that we will do and that we have done, that this could be the most important message. Because where do you learn intimacy in our society? It's Most people are dysfunctional at intimacy. I was. And it's been a process. So even now that I'm in my 60s, I'm just now growing into where I'm capable of having intimacy in my relationships. So it's never too late to learn. And the quality of those relationships is unlike the quality that I've ever experienced before. You're learning like how it's reciprocal. Like you're, for the first time, maybe you're experiencing what it's like to, to give that to someone else and have it given back to you. And so it's the reciprocal nature of experiencing that in group that actually gives you the experience to experience that more in life. Right, and I think that's a good um, 
That's a good marker to know that it is like the reciprocation is key. Um, if you are always initiating in a relationship, that relationship may not be completely healthy. Or if you are always waiting for the other person in your relationship to initiate before you respond, that also is unhealthy. So a healthy relationship will be characterized by mutual initiative on both parts. That's a great point. And I think that, again, how we talk about how important awareness is to change, you know, Am I aware of my patterns in relationships? Am I lacking intimate relationships that are fulfilling? I need to look inward first. And again, I've learned, everything I've learned about intimacy has been in the last 25 years in my recovery journey in this process of groups. So I, th- I, go, I think of what Brene Brown said, that, you know, she talks about how hope can be cultivated, it can be learned. So can intimacy. Yeah, and that's that's because uh, I've been in these groups. That's exactly what we're learning together mm-hmm. in those groups. So, well, let's move on to the next one. Um, next one's presence. Yeah, that's my favorite. How's that different from initiate? Presence is for me. It's it's empathy. It's having an empathetic, listening heart to when to, for my fellow participants in the group. But then I carry that into my my life relationships and. Am I listening with my heart? Am I really being present for another human being? Um, instead of always being in a position of my ego, thinking, how's this going to affect me? You know, what's in, what's in this for me? How's this going to affect me to just being... So, like, if Anna and you are talking to me about your lives, I'm listening through no filter through my ego. My heart is there, and I'm hearing. And then I, what I learned that in group, again... I'm able to be present for others. Most people, um, I believe, are in relationships, do not listen empathetically. They're listening through their ego and their insecurity. I feel like a huge part of presence would be creating space Mm. for your person, um, listening um, to really gain and understand what they're saying, not necessarily to respond to what they're saying, but just holding space for them. That's a huge part of presence is just being with them exactly where they are, whether that's sharing in their joy or um, just being present to their their sorrow or their suffering, Um, not trying to fix, not trying to um, respond, but just being in the same space and holding space as much as is required for them to fully engage with whatever it is that they may be wrestling with at that moment. Yeah, that's a great point. Because I think that so many of us struggle with shame. And in a small group where there's people who are present, which again to me, with empathy, it it helps dissolve that toxic shame that I struggle with. I share about my life and I hear back affirming responses who are listening from their hearts. And that's Mm -hmm. just so powerful versus people who are not being present for me. And it actually deepens my shame. So, again, in recovery groups, and when we say recovery groups, we're not about recovery from life. Yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> which includes Recovering from all life, of us. it's a lifelong <laughs> process. We're all recovering and healing and yes. growing and That's learning right. how to thrive and, and live with more joy and well-being. Well, um, so, and, and I think we all really believe that being listened to is the antidote to shame. That 
I'm sure people show up with shame. And, and in the book, he, he says that that, that that makes them want to defect others. And so we really do believe in the power of being present. And when someone is listened to, it has a way of tearing that down and, and helping people overcome that sense of shame. You know, we have a simple structure in our groups that we've used for 20-some years that in initial people's feelings of it are, it's kind of what I... That's kind of strange, but we have them introduce themselves every time they talk. So if Anna talks 20 times in our meeting tonight, 20 times she would say, hi, I'm Anna. And when she finishes, 20 times the group's going to say, thank you, Anna. And that just that little exchange is creating presence. It's sending Anna a signal that we care about listening to you. And then when thank you is affirmation. And for, as I've said this for years, many of our participants, that's the only time in that entire day that that's been a response to what, first of all, we want to know your name, we're listening to you, and we care about what you just it's shared. Like, isn't, that, isn't that what we all want to hear, is our name? It's, There's something is. really powerful about encountering someone, and they, they say your name. You actually feel yes. more intimate and close to them. What is it? What is it about that? I, I've, I've said that a lot over the last five <laughs> years. I was like, I love when you say my name. Yes. Just sort of saying, hey you know, or you, but Scott. Yes. It, it is. And, like, you know that somebody is holding presence when you have the floor like that. They're, I mean, how many times have you had a conversation with somebody and you have not even finished expressing your complete thought before they're responding? It's beyond frustrating to be able to, like, to not be able to fully uh, even complete a thought with someone. And so holding presence like we do in group, you know, when somebody speaks and says, hi, I'm Anna, and then everybody's eyes are on you and they are waiting and listening and fully engaged in every word that you are saying until you are finished and then they thank you for your expression of your thought or your feeling, that is, that is true intimacy right there. They, they're not trying to interject. They're not trying to give you a quick answer or a quick fix. They're not trying to tell you their thoughts on the, they are engaged, present, and listening to all that you have to say. And that is huge. Think about this. This is a simple example to me. Um, I could say, I love you. But if I say, George, I love you. Feels different. (laughs) Anna, I love you. Scott, I love you too. Yeah. I mean, it just changes the whole dynamic of it. You know, you're a good man. George, you are a good man. It just, um, you know, that's why we have a name. That's the first mm-hmm. thing when a child is born, they're, they're given a name. It does. It signifies that you are present specifically with the person who you are naming. And, and the thing about that, saying your name brings you present to the group. And then hearing your name brings the group present to you. So yeah, that's, that's, uh, and I've thought about that. I've gone through entire days where no one has said my name. And then I go to group and I hear my name all night. Thank you, Scott. Glad you're here, Scott. We love you, Scott. I mean, it just, it sounds so simple, but it's, it's we have a deficit. We have a deficit of it in our world. When I get off the elevator here, the hope and healing, the big words on the wall. It's like hope and healing actually happen through things like this. You know, I have this little, sometimes when I'm in a down, downward spiral and I, I'll get the Bible, I will put my name on a verse and, and say, instead of it just reading, you know, 
right. Scott, you know, you're light in my eyes. You know, Scott, you know, this is, it, it personalizes it. Personalizes it. I remember as a kid, romper room. I'm really dating myself. And <laughs> you remember she used to say your name and you're just waiting to hear your name? <laughs> and when she did, like, this woman through the TV just said my name. I've she knows me. I've just been validated. Yeah, yes. it, it, so you, you guys are right on. That, that is such a beautiful thing. And you guys do that so well. So we have uh, initiative, presence. What's the next one, Anna? Completion. Mm. Ooh, this is, this is a big one. Um, if you're in a healthy relationship... You're going to do the things that you say you're going to do. And your person that you're in relationship with is going to do the things that they say that they are going to do. Follow through is important, key, crucial component of a healthy relationship. Scott, would, would, would you have to add to that? So you cannot have healthy relationship if you're not completing. Because it comes down to the greatest element in intimacy, and that is trust. Mm. If I say to you, I'm going to do something, especially if it's something I know that you need from me. And I fail to do that. That sends a message. How can, I, how can I trust you? And it's interesting when he talks about the dysfunctional side of completion, he, he has a great statement. Addicts always leave their options open. They never commit and come through. Because they're going to be expected to follow through. Right. Wow. And on the flip side, codependents will have a very low level of accountability. So mm. you didn't do what you said you were going to do. I guess I'll just do it for you because I can. And obviously, then it's just I'm not as important. Both sides. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, there's that's two sides to the same. Coin. And that's what you guys are teaching, both sides of it. Yeah. So completeness. And the last thing that I did want to talk, Carnes talks about how important the amends piece is in the 12 steps, in steps eight and nine, when we make amends, because they're going to heal a relationship. But to me, that is, if I, if I say I'm going to make amends, I'm going to, I'm going to apologize for what I did, and, you know, and I do that, I, I follow through with it. It's, it's healing. And if I don't, because I, I, you know, I want to leave my options open or my own selfish dysfunction, then nothing changes. Nothing you're you're speaking of closure then. So like, yes. and that's something you guys are helping, helping people do in groups is that, because you can avoid closure. Because I think that's just so important. If I hurt you, if I truly hurt you, I need to own that. Hmm. And I need to come to you and make that clear. This is how I know I hurt you. And I'm so, so sorry. That, com that closure brings us, it's a bridge now that God can use to heal the marriage. What about from the other side? If I've been hurt and I'm not getting the amends made, how, how, how do I find, how's then that person, how do you help that person find then closure? perhaps it's time to set up some healthy boundaries. So boundaries is, is a step in complete. Because I'm going to know that I don't know if I can trust yeah. this person fully. And that's what, there's no greater element to intimacy to me than trust. And we all these things add up to it, but that to me is just, if I trust you, because I read one place where if, uh, if I trust you, if I really trust you, and we have this intimacy, then you can give me input and I'll receive it. But if there's no trust here and you're giving me input, I'm going to receive it as criticism. Mm. That is profound. 
can can closure come by what you were saying, Anna, about having to set up boundaries? Can someone who uh, has been wronged or hurt in some way can closure come and going? Closure is that that person just isn't capable of doing what is necessary. So is that in a sense bring closure for people? You find people experience that in group when they they awaken to that reality, like this person is never going to be able at this particular time to give me what it is. I think sometimes a group is hugely helpful in that because many people for the first time see what is healthy and capable. Um, and if there are people in their lives that are not in a healthy place that are not capable of uh, maintaining a healthy relationship, then, then the people that are going through our groups, um, they can begin to learn to set up boundaries because you can't, you know, you can't squeeze blood from a stone. There are certain people that just have certain capabilities and, um, you know, we want to grow towards healthy relationships, but I think, um, we all have the understanding that not everybody is in the same place in their personal growth journey. And so, um, somebody that maybe isn't as far along as you are, don't have the same capabilities. Um, maybe I wouldn't say giving them a pass and not holding them to the same expectation, but more like giving yourself a pass and setting a healthy boundary and saying like, okay, I know that I cannot expect this particular relationship to be healthy and functional. So I am going to decide ahead of time, like how much of this relationship I'm going to allow to be a part of me um, or how important I'm going to let allow this relationship to be in my life. Because if it's not going to be healthy and functional, it's not going to be a intimate relationship. So I need to find those intimate relationships like I've seen modeled in groups outside of this dysfunctional relationship. Okay, the, the next one. Everybody's favorite. Everyone's waiting for this one. Everybody <laughs> loves being vulnerable, right? <laughs> Vulnerability. You know. You dread it, but you crave it. It's, it's, it's a really good way of putting it. In my 25-year recovery journey, um, it has been a steady. I mean, I would say every year I've learned to become more and more vulnerable. Um, and that there are parts of me that um, I struggle with and I'm shame that uh, if I expose that to you, this belief is that you'll reject me. And so what I withhold from you, it, it, it's going to limit the level of intimacy that we can have. So it, I, we have to be honest here. It takes in great courage to become vulnerable, especially when we risk. The, I, I, I look at it this way. Um, I, I can be vulnerable with my checkout person for my groceries at Kroger. <laughs> There's no real risk there. Yeah. But the main, most important relationships in my life, where the risk is so much greater, I have a tendency, and I do, to want to withhold information about me. So sometimes it's harder with people that are closer to you, because they could hurt you more. Yes, but, yeah, those are, and the, but those are actually the relationships that I need to risk the most with. Yeah. If I'm going to, the accept. person at Kroger does not need to know your deepest, darkest secrets while they're checking you out. That is not healthy intimacy, or not even healthy vulnerability. That would be very weird for the people behind. <laughs> the no, no, but my, no, my, behind my, my point is that that there's no risk there. Yeah. Yes, I, yeah. I can. And group would probably be a better example, but you know, I can share all this stuff. But they're going to go live their lives. But those who are close to me that I'm in the deepest relationships with, 
if I'm fearful of being rejected, it's going to it's going to limit the ability to have intimacy. And so there's going to be a part of me that I'm withholding from you. And then and that ends up harming me. I, I, and it also, I think, when we try to, um, we try to limit, limit our vulnerability and we're not fully exposed, we're obviously dealing with some things that are unhealthy in our lives. And those things will always come out sideways in our relationships. And so while we think we're protecting ourselves sometimes by not being completely vulnerable by those who are in close relationship with us, we are actually hurting ourselves even more because um, our behaviors come out kind of sideways because we're trying to cover up things and we're trying to make things appear like smooth, calm waters um, when underneath it's churning and it just doesn't work. Right, and I think we kind of talked about this before, but if I'm more concerned about controlling my environment with you versus risking being vulnerable with you, which gives you the option of however you want to respond. And that's, that's where, to me, the risk gets so much greater. The more valuable, the more important the relationship is with me, those are the ones that we tend to be the most Well, well we fear vulnerability because we've been hurt and right. rejected. And, but we also can't grow without feedback from others because we all have blind spots and so part of growing is being more vulnerable with others that could love us and show us grace where we have these blind spots so so and that, and that's obviously what you guys do in group is is for those that have been wounded by being vulnerable you try to show them it's safe and then ultimately it moves toward this healthy place where we're getting loving caring feedback that does help us grow well our entire society is dysfunctional with intimacy and it's set up where with social media that you can get really get harmed by being vulnerable, showing your weaknesses. You know, I go back to what Paul says when he has Christ to remove the thorn and he wouldn't. He says, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. I also th- think that has a lot to do with the, the level of vulnerability. Um, if I risk to tell you both the deepest struggles I have and, and to bear my weaknesses to you, and you stay with me, that is when I experience growth and love. Mm. Yeah. That, but if I hide that stuff from you and I try to project who I think you, the false self and all that, I'm alone. Right. And I think that's where vulnerability and presence, like they go hand in hand. Like we have to be willing to be vulnerable. And then when somebody is being vulnerable with you, you have to be willing to show presence, like without judgment, without evaluation, just be with that person in their vulnerability, um, displaying empathy, um, pressing into what emotions they're feeling, understanding that, feeling those alongside of them without trying to fix or give advice, um, but just Presence and vulnerability, they are two, two sides of the same coin in a healthy relationship. You mm-hmm. have to, they work together. Yeah, I like what Anna put in the notes from Karn's book, that working with a healthy community, however, one opens up to others, requires consultation, invites feedback. Owning to one's own powerlessness is a fundamental acknowledgement of dependency. The walls of secrecy mm-hmm. break down, trust builds. Yeah. So that is the gift of this, is that we get the opportunity to be trusted and to experience what it means to be trusted by another. 
All right, the next one is nurture. Which I would say both of you are really good at. <laughs> thank we, you, Scott. We, yeah, thank you, Scott. <laughs> and we just said your name twice, so, oh, so I hope that's you presence. Feel we're, we're learning, and we're learning that we as present we go for you. here. We're trying to nurture you by saying your name. Um, yes, nurturing, it's just a big word for caring for people. Um, expressing care, showing empathy, trying to meet a need where you see it, not necessarily fix something, but when you see there's a lack or there's something that you are capable of stepping into, that is a healthy um, a hallmark of a healthy relationship is, is nurturing that. So um, when a small child falls down and scrapes their knee and a mother or father you know, picks them up and gives them comfort and says, I'm sorry that you're hurting and it's going to be okay. And let me get you a Band-Aid and clean that up. That is, that is nurturing. And we learn that at a young age. Um, and hopefully that is modeled in a healthy way in your childhood. But that looks a little different in adulthood. You know, when your significant other has a really hard day at the office or they come in and their head's hung low and Obviously, you're not going to put a Band-Aid on that, but showing presence and showing validation, uh, just saying their name, hey, George, I'm sorry you had a hard day at the office today, is that is an example of nurturing mm -hmm. in more of an adult-type capacity. Um, we learn it young, but that can carry over and transition. Somebody, you know, if they just maybe had an, uh, some kind of medical procedure, bringing them a meal, like that is nurturing. Do you find in group, like, you probably experience people that are just so starving for nurture and they they're just not getting it and I would imagine they have a certain kind of experience when they experience that in group but then I would imagine you probably witness too um, someone who who does not give nurturing but they're experiencing it so deeply within the group and then they take for the first time they become vulnerable and and risk you know caring for someone else or sharing an uplifting word or nurturing within the group do you guys see both of those things happen well, to me, it goes back to initiative. Nurturing is moving towards a person who is hurting, who needs support, encouragement, love. I don't know if people truly uh, understand the power of words. I am like a wordsmith. I mean, mm. one word can make my day or break my day. Um, it has the power to lead me to healing or it has the power to move me into a place of brokenness. So that's why affirmations are such a big part. And again, that's why it sounds silly, but every time they say, thank you, Scott, that is an affirming, nurturing message to me. And what, it, what the message it sends to me is that I matter to you. Yeah. That there's a meaning and purpose for my life. Uh, that's what nurturing does. And that's why when someone is hurt and we help them we nurture them back to health. Um, there's not a more caring thing because we're the ones that are going to have to give. So having relationships that are nurturing, is, is that a quality of the intimacy that you're experiencing with others? For me, it's foundational. Um, and Because I know how much I need it. And I know how much others need it from me. Um, and we, again, our society is pretty dysfunctional at nurturing. And we can nurture with our presence too. Like, like yeah, it, words, words, words are powerful. And whoever taught us in our nurturing in the early days, says sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. 
Where did they get that wisdom? <laughs> but I do think sometimes words are inadequate, and so yeah. presence helps. I've heard you say being witnessed to or being listened to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This nurturing yeah, comes in a, in, yeah. a, in a lot of different ways. I think especially in the grief process, I think sometimes words can be the least nurturing thing you can do. Like if somebody is in the midst of severe grief, um, physical presence can be like the most nurturing thing that you can do. Lending an ear instead of your mouth, just being there with them and listening. Parker Palmer wrote in one of his books about when he was struggling with deep depression and he could not get out of it. And he said people would come visit him and they would talk to him and try to encourage him. And he said it actually made him feel worse. But the breakthrough in his recovery from his depression, he said, came from this person who just came to sit with him. So he would like rub his shoulders, rub his feet. Um, and um, he said just kindness and just just being with him. And that was the beginning of him beginning to heal. And so I think about that. People who are grieving just need I'm here. I'm when, here. When we go through the pattern of these, when we initiate, when we're present, when we move into completion, when we're vulnerable and we're nurturing, maybe we're surprised at all the different ways that these things can flow through us, that we can experience them from others. And so they do kind of build on each other. And, and like you said er- earlier, you know, they kind of interweave and interact with, with, with one another. But let's, let's hit the last one. It's, it's honesty. And uh, I don't know if there was any rhyme and reason to the order of these, but... uh, It's funny because they all, uh, each of them go hand in hand. You know, uh, honesty is probably going to go hand in hand with completion, like being honest and truthful about what you say you're going to do. No vulnerability and and presence and nurturing and initiative are, um, they go hand in hand. So honesty, yes. I think we cannot have a healthy relationship if we are not honest about who we are in in every aspect. And that means um, whether it's a mistake that we've made or more importantly, possibly a need that we have. I know that's very difficult for codependents in particular to express their need um, and ask for help. Um, but that is, you're not in a healthy reciprocal relationship if you are not able to be honest about what your needs are. So it does come down to just the basics of healthy relationship does come down to uh, being able to communicate and being able to listen. So knowing what your needs are, asking, hey, this is a need I have, and then knowing that someone has heard that and understood it and is trying to, to give that back to you. Like these are all just basics of healthy relationship. But often we find ourselves when we're not paying attention that you know we're not growing in these or we're not paying attention to them like we should. So honesty, obviously, is a, a great place to start. And you always say this, Scott, it's being known fully. And that's what we all want to, to experience. And, and when we're known for all the good, bad, and the ugly, we're still loved and appreciated. It's not even that we're still loved. To me, it's the only time we're ever going to know that we truly are loved. Because here's the honest truth. I have these weaknesses. I have these flaws. I've made these mistakes. I struggle with this. Here's all of me, all of me. Will you love that man? And that honesty at that level takes incredible 
risk and courage. Because again, we go back to the greatest need, the desire of all human beings is to be loved. And that's why Thompson is saying there's no greater need to be fully known because that's the only way you're ever going to know that you're fully loved. It just, mm. yet we're terrified of being fully known because of exposure. And we go back to what uh, um, Bradshaw says in Healing Shame Binds You that the only antidote for toxic shame, which is we're so terrified of being exposed, is exposure. And so and this last thing I was going to say here, too, is that if you take all these together, it accumulates to me into one key word, love, mm. love, which is what we all are desiring. That's why intimacy, true intimacy, is where we experience that. This is, I feel love. That is what we're all longing for, desiring, and, but it comes uh, as we move through. And that's why in small groups, in a healing community, I can actually learn and experience intimacy. I feel loved and there's nothing more powerful in the whole universe than that love. I would imagine that honesty kind of works both ways. Like you could be a little bit closed off when you hear someone being more deeply honest and that has a way of drawing that out of you going hey I want to share a little more because I, I saw someone do it and um, and that brings us closer when we you know are in relationship with people who are teaching us what it means to be more honest right I've definitely been in groups before where people were like well I, I wasn't really planning to share this but because this person shared mm. their yeah. something now I feel freed up that it's safe um, so, yeah, I think for the first time, a lot of people are in a space in our groups where they can feel the freedom and the safety to be completely honest with where they've been, where they're at, what they're struggling with um, in, in a way that they have never been able to, to be before. And so I think in a very important way, we are modeling what a healthy relationship looks like for the first time for so many people and they're able to take that and translate that into the relationships that they have outside of their small group which is it's healing the world one relationship at a time and that is what you guys do so beautifully so unselfishly and with so much wisdom and help so thank you guys for that so much well scott um you are the founder and the guy that we all look to. Uh, so one final thought, any final words from you on, on healthy relationships and intimacy? You know, when I, when I read Anatomy of the Soul and, Brett and um, Thompson was talking about how we were created, how the brain works, how we've learned about the brain, it becomes clear, he says, that we are created for intimacy, that our brains won't even work right in isolation and disconnected. And it does not matter how many people, uh, it's not the quantity of relationships, it's the quality. Where can I experience being fully known and practicing these qualities of intimacy which we were created for? Um, that's when we come home. And you think about it, you go all the way back to the Trinity where God made us. We're going to make man in our image. We, as Richard Rohr said, we are far, far more relational than we ever really understand. It's a entirely relational universe we live in. When you think about it, it's not just human beings. It's planets. You know, it's our ecosystem. It's the human body. It's the atoms. 
it's it's the Trinity. And Scott, you said it so well that God is absolute relatedness, and we call that love. And that's what we're all aiming for. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing this with us. And if you are listening and you need a, an intentional place to go to to learn how to practice this, to find others to uh, journey along with you and witness to your life and open up in all these ways that could help us all lead to a more healthy relationship, then please check us out online at storesmallgroups.org to learn more about online and in-person groups that you can participate in because Anna and Scott and so many others here are welcoming you. So if you need a place to go, please check us out. Reach out to us. And until we meet back here again, friends, take care.